Uh, I'm excited about uh, this morning. Nathan's coming to bring the second week of a five-week series called Reality Check. Last week I was on holidays, but I listened to the podcast and uh, Nathan preached about disunity and having unity and how there's all kinds of different preaching styles in church and how... uh, And then I thought to myself, this is really clever preaching because what he's doing is he's saying, if you don't like my style, the Bible says you're wrong. (laughs) <laughs> so I got to take notes from this guy and uh, subtle messaging. It's very good. So if you don't like Mython's style, uh, you're wrong. So uh, just enjoy, just sit back and enjoy this morning's message. We're excited. We're looking at how we can see our lives through the lens of the gospel. So why don't you join with me and welcome Mathan to the stage as he brings the word this morning. There we go. Today we are talking about money. Just kidding. We're talking about sex. It wasn't all for nothing. Uh, can we thank the band for amazing worship this morning? Thank you guys. So obviously, you can see on the screen, here in the song, old salt and pepper classic from I don't know which year, but we're talking about sex today. And I'm not standing here as an expert on sex, otherwise known in the industry as a sexpert. I'm, I'm not standing here as one of those. Uh, all I can say for my experience or expertise on the area is, I do have three children, so it worked at least three times. <laughs> but with dance moves like this, that's the reason it's only three and not more. <laughs> there we go. Cool. So as Brendan said, we are in Reality Check. Uh, it's five weeks where we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, looking at some key ideas from there. Where the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, not just the city, but the church, the believers in that city, had come up with some crazy ideas about how to live out this life following Jesus. They had created their own reality about how to live within their city culture, the things around them, how to follow Jesus. And these five areas were problems. Paul addresses these five problems, <clears throat> excuse me, then directs them to look at the problems through the lens of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. They needed to check their reality and what they were living in and see if it aligned with the life of Jesus make sure they're acting and behaving in a way that reflects the change that Jesus has made in their world. So last week, we had foolish unity. The Corinthians had disunity caused by popularity and recognition of human talents and achievements. And as Brendan said, it was about, it stemmed from following a whole bunch of popular speakers. It was like, who who was the popular TED Talk speaker and preacher and um, celebrity that was in town in the church at that time and they had kind of caused their own followings that were going in different paths 
But living from a reality of knowing a risen Jesus means we can have a reliance on God and not man's abilities. So Paul was saying the foolishness of the gospel should be unifying us and the power that raised Jesus from the dead should be bringing us together. Foolishness in the world's eyes, but powerful in unity, bringing foolish unity. So today we're talking about sex. This is from chapters 4 to 7 in 1 Corinthians. Uh, each week we're going to look at addressing the problem and then looking at a solution. And the problem to do with sex, and there's three chapters on it, to do with sex and marriage and relationships, and there's, there's a number of different uh, kind of subtopics in there, so just kind of covering some themes across there. There's a couple of areas I won't be able to address uh, specifically, but I encourage you to go and read chapters 4 to 7 uh, five to seven, sorry, for yourself. The problem here was the Corinthians' attitudes and behaviours related to sex. And they came up in two different situations. The first situation, if I can have the first verse on the screen, please. And for this one, I've included, we don't normally do this. You know, hey, if you're reading your Bible app or you've got your Bible, there's the, the headings in different chapters and sections. This is the title that starts with chapter five. Dealing with the case of incest. Don't worry, we're not talking about incest today. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that not even the pagans tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. This is in the church, in the Corinthian church. Paul starts off with the big, he gets the sledgehammer out. He goes straight for the worst of the worst. He says, you have incest in your, in your church and the, the sexual immorality and the behaviour in the church, see, we might think church is perfect place for perfect people. It's not. We're all imperfect. The church is made perfect by Jesus as a body, but we're made up of imperfect people and there's, there's no one that is perfect. But this is an extreme a, very, a man is sleeping with his father's wife and says even the pagans, even those and we, we learnt last week in the Corinthian city in Corinth that they are in this, uh, this city and culture that was a major trading spot uh, it was a place of major worship to the Greek gods they had temples and all sorts of behaviour and we'll learn a bit more about it later all sorts of behaviour was tolerated but he says, even this, the behaviour in your church is not tolerated and it's looked down upon by others outside the church. And in verse 2 says, and you are proud. So it wasn't just even just tolerated or just like a, a pocket or just one person in the church. It was celebrated. It was made proud amongst uh, at least a, a number of members in the church. The second situation, so we start off with incest. The church members, yeah, just to keep it light this morning, <laughs> the church members are sleeping with prostitutes at the Greek temples, a place of worship to other gods, and that's talked about in verses 15 to 17, but we won't have it on the screen. Now, this is bemusing because it isn't just about them having casual sex and having like transactional sex. It's not so much talking about prostitutes, it's just talking about the the behaviour and having that sex outside of marriage where it's not attached to that, that relationship. 
but it also means they're probably worshipping the other gods at the temples too. So it's not just the sex part, it's what are they even doing at the temples in the first place? So these situations arise out of two attitudes to sex that existed in Paul's time, in the Corinthians' time, and you might notice some patterns in our time too. In verse 12, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. Now if we go to, back to verse 12, say first, I have the right to do anything, you say. Now you might have heard this kind of quoted in, in context. If This passage might be familiar in talking about behaviours in, in Christian life and church. And what's quite interesting is Paul's actually quoting the Corinthians. Sometimes we might just hear, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Kind of one statement. But Paul was quoting the Corinthians who have written to him and said, you say I have the right to do anything. You say. But then the rest of it, out of the speech marks, is Paul was saying, but not everything is beneficial. It's not actually kind of saying, this is one great statement. It's th their comment and his response. And again, with the second one, I have the right to do anything, again repeated, but I will not be mastered by anything. That's Paul's response to the behaviours and the attitudes in the Corinthian church. See, so the Corinthians have taken on a warped view of their freedom in Christ to the point where they believe they can do whatever they like sexually, including incest. So we have freedom in Christ. There's verses that say it's for, for freedom that Christ has set us free. And it's not about rules and regulations, it's about freedom. The, the life with Jesus takes, takes weight off our lives and it releases freedom. But they have taken it to beyond uh, the extreme of what that freedom should be. Secondly, and linked to their right to do anything, the Corinthians are following the Greek culture of the time. In the, the second verse, it says, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. They are in a Greek culture that says they care about the soul, but they have a view that says the body doesn't mean anything. And you might go, okay, well, what, that, that sounds like a nice statement. What, what does it sound like? The soul was good, the body is bad. They held a low view of the body. And so if you, if you think like that, then you think sex is just an appetite. Like if you're hungry, you have an appetite, you eat food. If you're feeling sexy, you have sex. <laughs> but there's no effect on the soul, it's just body. Food for the body, sex for the body. It's just the body, no effect on the soul. The problem here is the culture of their time was influencing their behaviour rather than their behaviour influencing their culture. Who knows, when that happens, it's a bit of a problem. But to contrast these attitudes, there was also some, uh, at the other end of the scale, so whatever we do, it's just the body, doesn't affect the soul. At the other end, in chapter 7, verse 1, now for the matters you wrote about, here the Corinthians are mentioned again, 
it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So on one side, we've got a Greek culture or just a culture that talks about whatever you do with the body, it's fine. You've got freedom. You can, you can do whatever. It's for, you know, because of the freedom Christ has given us as well, kind of mixed in with the Greek culture, let's have sex, let's eat whatever. On the other side, you've got a legacy of the, the Pharisees and, and the very legalistic teachers, the ones that made lots of rules and uh, made it hard to follow, saying it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So no sex, lots of sex. <laughs> it's the other extreme. That view, we might use other terms to say it's very conservative, legalistic. This view over here says that sex is terrible. We shouldn't really talk about it. Sex is defiling, even within marriage. Really, it should only happen to make children. And, and that's about the limit of it. And we can see the same extremes in our culture. We might use the term liberal to say sex is a need, it's an appetite. It's unhealthy not to exercise it. To your right, it's an appetite. If you're not exercising sex, their appetite, then it's not healthy. The, the extreme conservative side would say sex is unmentionable, even in marriage. The body isn't important, so have as much sex as you like, but sex is icky. <laughs> so, so don't talk about it and don't do it unless you have to. <laughs> These are two extremes that need a reality check. Time for a drink of water. <laughs> so this is where the reality check comes in. There's a couple of problems from a couple of situations. So what is Paul's response? He gives us neither approach. Instead, Paul gives us a view on sex that is so positive that you just can't do it with anyone. And on the other hand, it is not defiling at all. How does he do this? Firstly, he says how we should consider what we do with our bodies. In the second half of verse 13 in chapter 6, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And here's the, what it's all building up to. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. So the Greek culture says the body doesn't matter. And there's this other view. And Paul's not even, it's not really in the middle. It's just another view. It says we should honour God with our bodies because what we do with our bodies does matter. And then he quotes in uh, verse 16 that sex is something that creates one flesh. And he also uh, quotes the same in Ephesians 5. The two will become one flesh. It's a Greek uh, translation version of uh, Adam and Eve in the, New, in the Old Testament. This one flesh means the act of sex is not about just creating 
a physical unity, just one, some, some translations might say one body, just like at that time you're physically together because you know, the body doesn't matter and that's just what it is. But it's more than that. It brings two lives together in a way beyond the physical. See, sex is not just about giving yourself pleasure and fulfilment or your partner pleasure and fulfilment. Sex and marriage together is about becoming something other than what you were. Tim Keller, a great pastor and teacher and theologian from New York, Presbyterian minister, says, sex is a way to donate yourself to your spouse so completely that you are not yourself. You're not the same. I'm just going to ask Carmen to come to the stage just for... (laughs) A very simple, family-friendly, visual illustration. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's okay. Hello. Hello. So how do we put this into something we might relate? So we have water. What is water made up of? Anyone remember their chemistry? H2O. So we have, you can be oxygen, I'll be the explosive hydrogen. No, they're both explosive. So we have oxygen and hydrogen. Aside, (laughs) when I'm over here, I'm just hydrogen. When she's over there, she's just oxygen. Two unique elements separate. When joined together, they're not just... (laughs) They're not just hydrogen and oxygen. It forms a new element, a, a new thing called water, H2O, which takes a bit of a process to, if you ever want to try and separate them out. They become a whole new thing. It's not like I've just become a better hydrogen and a better oxygen. We've become a new thing. What about, let's take salt as an example. Anyone know salt? This might be going a bit further in their chemistry knowledge. Sodium chloride. So I can be sodium and chloride. Two different elements. If you have them as they were, you just get a pile of sodium and a pile of chloride. Hydrogen and oxygen are gases, so they're a bit harder to see. When joined together, it's inseparable. It becomes salt. It's a new thing. It's not, it's not two of what was. It's a whole new thing. And you know, the Bible also talks about salt quite a lot in terms of influencing and affecting the culture and uh, bringing life and flavour to the world as well. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, sex and marriage are not about completion. They're not making a better hydrogen, a better oxygen, a better sodium, a better chloride. A spouse doesn't complete you or make you better than what you were. Sex and marriage make you something different than what you were. And because of that, that view and that mindset, hopefully this is an encouragement to those that are single. Because this isn't about saying married people are better or on a higher level or on a better level. It's just saying there's a new unity, a new one flesh has been created that's formed. It's just different. It's not better. It's not worse. No one's better or worse in this. It's just different. From, it was made from the two parts that came together to make it up. And there are a couple of additional views that Paul discusses with regards to being single and being married. 
This is paraphrasing like a whole chapter's worth. He says, are you married? Don't try to be single. Marriage is great. Are you single? Don't kill yourself trying to be married. Marriage is hard. (laughs) See, (laughs) amen. So here, Paul's even throwing out, there are extremes and it just, that's just life. And then we kind of feel somewhere in between and we might jump from one to the other. But don't kill yourself trying to be one or the other. He says, what, what you are, you are for now. And, and that could change. If you want to know more, uh, have a read of chapter seven. Now going back to the oneness. This oneness is a unity that can in turn, builds community. And that's the purpose of sex and marriage, is to build community. Looking at verse 9, the second half says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now often this verse might be used as a list of disqualifiers from the kingdom but we had a great series that Brennan shared earlier in the year about the kingdom and heaven on earth and that's a bigger discussion on on that side of things in terms of inheriting the kingdom and so it's another discussion for another day but what is key in the big picture of these things is that this group of characteristics of behaviours have two things in common and we'll have a look at uh, some of the examples. And there's a few that might fall in the sex category. So I'm going to kind of bracket them into the category of sex outside of marriage. Collectively, this puts the individual first over the wider community, all of these behaviours. All, all, all three of them share. These char- the first characteristic is they put the individual first over community. So there's sex outside of marriage. It's about uh, satisfying the flesh. It's about looking after in, in the moment. Sometimes it's about transactional or casual sex. It's about an individual first rather than looking for the long term and uh, building a community, building a family which helps build into the community. The slanderer is a liar. And when lies are told, someone in the community u- loses and unity is lost. We talked about unity last week. So that puts the individual first in the moment to get a gain, to get a foot up over somebody, whatever the situation about lying. It's putting the individual first over community. The swindler, and we might think the swindler is a bit of a thief, but in the original language, it isn't actually so much a thief, but it's actually more someone who has ruthless but legal business practices. Someone who pushes the envelope but keeps it within the law, who is doing everything for their own gain but not thinking about the impacts on others. Again, putting them or their company over their community. And the second thing about these uh, characteristics of behaviour is one isn't higher or lower than the other. And it might be a reality check if we consider the sex ones higher or lower than the others. See, the, a liberal view might say, because sex doesn't matter, we can do, I'm more interested in making sure that uh, everything's ethically and socially 
viable in the business and we're holding business to account for their practices and it's looking after, there's no liars and cheaters and we have social justice in the world and focusing on that side. And then the conservative, ultra-conservative view across many cultures is... that got where I was going with that one a little bit but <laughs> so you've got that the conservative view is you know, it's not about the the body and then the the other side is saying we're not going to talk about sex or the, the things you're doing sexually they are abhorrent sins all of these things listed, sexual immorality, idolatry, all of that is worse than a simple lie, just being ruthless in business, ruthless in business. But one isn't higher or lower. They're all mentioned in the same breath and the same verse and all those characteristics that will not inherit the kingdom. Important to know. So they put the individual first over community and then Paul is considering them equal and things that we need a reality check on if, because what can happen is we can get on a moral high horse on either end we, we can be uh, what might be an extreme socialist view and we can get on a moral high horse on that side but on the other side we can be just as guilty about being on a moral high horse about sex and sexual issues saying we, we have the way Paul is saying we, we need to consider it all To wrap this up, I'll ask George to come, please. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her. This starts as a picture of the church as the bride of Christ. So we see marriage as an image of the perfect closure and oneness we will have with God. And sex is a foretaste of the absolute oneness we will have when we meet God. Sex is great. Don't get me wrong. Sex is great. But the oneness with God will be greater. Even a great marriage, I had a joke about it before, even a great marriage can be difficult. Even the very best marriages and the best sex will never satisfy us completely. There is just one thing, one person that can, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment for us all. Whether single, engaged, married, separated, divorced, or other relationship statuses that I can't think of right now. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment for us all, no matter what our life stage is. With our reality check, we get to know Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment in our heart. And we learn not to make marriage or sex an idol and say, I'm nobody because I'm not married or I'm somebody because I am. It's neither. And with our reality check, we can see sex as God intended it, not being influenced by our culture and can get healing and forgiveness where sexual mistakes have happened. Now, we've all made mistakes. As I said earlier, none of us are perfect. But we are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ in the picture. And none of us are without sin. So as Tim Keller puts it, 
we have all committed adultery against Jesus. Now you might say, well, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't even met Jesus physically. It's not talking about sexual things. If we aren't faithful spiritually, it's spiritual adultery. If you give your heart to a career, to money, to a relationship, to a person, to chasing after something, they become idols. And that is adultery. And most, but most importantly, we need to remember that He has forgiven us. In chapter 6, verse 11, continuing on from uh, where we've talked about before the, the different characteristics and behaviours, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Washed, sanctified and justified, they words that you could talk about a lot, but simply take it washed, washed clean, washed new, washed fresh, all of the old, all of the dirt, everything that was that you carried with you. He says, that is what you were. But now that is all gone. The slate has been washed clean. And as a bride to Jesus, the picture of the church as a bride in Ephesians 5, kind of flowing on from where we, in Ephesians 5 before, it says, we are without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So if your area of issue is sex, and that's what we talked most about, and we had the song at the start, and we had a bit of fun with it, we need to keep in mind, we're no different to anyone else. This isn't just about sex, but it's good to be talking about these things because our culture is talking about them so we as a church talk about them but we need to remember Jesus has forgiven us he's forgiven me he's forgiven you I know I haven't been perfect in these areas Um, Carmen and I were just talking briefly this morning that when we were engaged we were glad we weren't engaged one more day because (laughs) it was it was a challenge it was a challenge yeah won't share the detail, but it was a challenge. <laughs> but we're washed clean. We're forgiven. But if your area of making an idol is your career or your family or money or things or objects or things you're striving for, need to keep in mind we are no different to anyone else as well. And make sure that we do not have a pride that our sin is better than a sexual sin. We're all equal, we've all made mistakes but that we can stand on and remember that Jesus has forgiven us too he's forgiven you, he's forgiven me so a word of encouragement don't let the past haunt you Jesus said to a woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 and paraphrasing he says I do not condemn you use the grace I gave you to keep you clean is up to this point <clears throat> you were known for a, a whole bunch of things and, and we won't talk about the, the culture that kind of made the guys studs for sleeping around but made the, the woman the slut or you know the, so the, the guy was kind of esteemed and the woman is considered low it's another conversation again but Jesus came in as a man who could condemn he says I do not condemn you 
Use the grace I gave you to keep you clean. So we can do the same thing. There's, the Bible also talks about there being no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He washes us clean. And if there's one thing I want you to get from this morning in this message, it's about grace. It's about forgiveness. It's about being washed clean. No matter whether it's sexual areas or other things, there's no condemnation. We can be washed clean. Just ask everybody to stand, please. Let's just uh, close our eyes and just look to Jesus. Hold out hands or whatever you need to do just to focus on Him. You might have areas related to sex where you've fallen short. Let His Holy Spirit come this morning. And His peace come and just feel that burden lifted. Maybe you've been carrying it around with you to this point. It could be your relationship status. It could be actions, behaviours, current or previous. Let Him take your condemnation. Know He forgives you. In the same token, if you have areas in your life where you've not allowed Jesus to be the ultimate fulfillment, where you've made career and relationships and money and objects and holidays and things an idol, it's time to do business with God. Let His Holy Spirit just speak to you about these things and bring them to your mind. Take a moment. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So maybe Holy Spirit is speaking to you and bringing these situations to your mind. There are four simple things you can say and do as acts of repentance and action that you can take away from here today. One, sorry. Say sorry for the things that you've done that is brought to your attention. Two, thank you. Thank him for his grace, for his forgiveness, for Jesus dying on the cross and taking his sin, your sin upon his shoulders. And please, please help Please give me wisdom. Please give me guidance. Please help strengthen me in these areas. Please give me support in these areas. And then the fourth one is taking it away from the private. Talk to someone. Find a mentor or a connect group leader, a dinner party leader, or someone you trust that knows Jesus and can help you walk through these things and hold you accountable. Sorry, thank you, please. And then go and talk to somebody. Now, while we're standing here, I'm not sure what brought you to church this morning. Maybe it's something uh, you might have seen our website or through social media. Maybe you're driving past. Maybe a friend brought you along. 
life might be a struggle, it might be okay for you, but you might be feeling like something is missing. The Bible tells us if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. In a moment, we're gonna pray that sorry, thank you, please prayer. Give you an opportunity to respond either for the first time, say, I need Jesus in my life. Maybe you've never had Jesus as your Lord, as someone you follow and and worship and, and gather together, but you are here in church today. And you say, I want to know more. I want to follow this Jesus. Maybe you've done that before and just whatever's going on in life has brought you to a a place where you say, I need to come back to Jesus. It might even be things we talked about today. I'm I'm living my my life. I'm living in my, my culture, my perspective. I need to align my whole life to follow Jesus. I'm speaking to you too. So in a moment, I'll ask if you want to pray that prayer. Just like to get an indication of who might be doing that this morning. I'll ask you to raise your hands in a moment. We'll have every eye closed. And just just to acknowledge that, yes, I'm going to make that step, make that prayer. And then we're going to pray as a group together. Everyone in this room that wants to pray that prayer as a group. And then afterwards, we'd love to uh, connect with you and and share and help you on some next steps to uh, solidifying that decision and making sure you can have your best life in this area and following Jesus. So just ask if there's anybody wanting to make that decision this morning to follow Jesus for the first time or to come back to him this morning, just ask you to raise your hand. It's nice and high, give me a wave. Pray together, sorry, thank you, please. And just pray after me. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for doing things my way. I'm sorry for what I have done wrong. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you, my sin is washed clean. And please help me to follow you surround me with great community to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Awesome. That was talking about sex. And next week, we get to talk about food. Awesome. Thank you. Fantastic. Why don't you thank Nathan?